Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Justin. Uh, if you want to call in live tonight, uh, we do have a guest on. Phone number is 914-205-5558. Uh, if you're listening on the computer, you can also run down to the bottom of your screen there and hop in our chat, and you can ask us questions that way. Uh and you can also check us out on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, we are always open to having questions on there, as well as uh, that's where we post most of our updates for the show. And uh, you can also email us uh, at uh, paratruthradio at gmail.com. How's it going, Eric? It's going all right. How are you? I am fantastic. Ready for another good show. Yes, sir. Me too. So, um, folks, tonight we have a great guest on with us. Uh, we have David Montaigne, author of End Times and 2019. So, welcome, David, to Paratruth Radio. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. So for those of our listeners that uh, haven't heard of the book or heard of yourself, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, I was a historian, and I've always been interested in prophecy. So I've been reading books on the topic for decades. And at a certain point years ago, I had an idea that a lot of mythology from around the world, a lot of religions, a lot of monuments, tended to be pointing at the same things, even if they were saying it through a different story. And I thought one of the keys to understanding stories from around the world was to realize that the characters they're talking about are usually astronomical. Many of the heroes and gods simply refer to astronomical bodies in the skies. And I okay. thought that it would be interesting to see if you could date future events by analyzing the descriptions of the skies. And is that what kind of got you into starting writing the book? Yes. I love reading on the topic, and eventually I started to realize that I was coming up with a possible theory that no one else seemed to be talking about. And I like to write. I put together some articles, and eventually I realized I had enough material for a book. So I just kept working at it. So out of all the stuff that you read, what was some of the most fascinating to you, some of the legends that you saw? Some of the legends? Well, Or just the, the stuff that pointed towards what you were researching? Of course, everyone's heard of the Mayan calendar, the Mayan long count that ended December 21st, 2012. Right. So that was a very clear starting point especially when I was younger, that was something to look forward to and wonder, is there any meaningful reason why they were fascinated with that date? I looked right. into the Mayan views on astronomy, and they were very interested in record-keeping, keeping track of Venus, keeping track of precession, uh, the 26,000-year cycle that the Earth's axis slowly rotates through, pointing to a different part of the zodiac over the course of time. Uh, since they seemed obsessed with astronomy and since they had myths about worlds being destroyed and recreated by their gods over the course of time, I wondered if there was anything they were keeping track of in the sky that could be a potential clue to any kind of disaster in the future, if perhaps there was a, a cosmic key to figuring out the timing of such events, if such things actually happen. So Mayan mythology was always interesting to me, and I noticed similarities in other myths from around the world. Uh, obviously, there are pyramids in Central America. There are pyramids in Egypt. A lot of people have speculated that there's some kind of connection between them, especially right. since the way that they are built has similarities. Uh, both yeah. in Egypt and in Mexico, there are mathematical relationships in the pyramids. For example, the base-to-height ratio being... 3.14 or some variation on it. They were encoding different mathematical knowledge, different measurements into their pyramids. And I wondered if cultures had contact with each other. wondered if they were trying to tell the same types of stories 
through their myths, and I think they are. I'm guessing that many of your listeners have heard the theory by Robert Bavall and some others that the Giza pyramids in Egypt are aligned, oriented on the ground in a way that corresponds to the belt stars of the constellation Orion. Right, yep. And that their position near the Nile River is similar to the Orion constellation's proximity to the Milky Way. Mm. And maybe a lot of your listeners don't know that similar things were done with pyramids and temples around the world. Uh, You get the same Orion constellation in certain pyramids in Mexico and in Angkor Wat in Cambodia. The temple complex there is aligned the same way the constellation Draco has its stars. In fact, uh, even the name Angkor could be broken down into two Egyptian words, like the Ankh, the uh, cross with the loop shape at the top. Right. And Hor, H-O-R, is kind of the root for the Egyptian god Horus. Angkor could, in ancient Egyptian, mean Horus lives. There could be a relation between the two sites of Angkor Wat and Giza, especially since both of them seem to have monuments aligned to the way two different constellations looked approximately 12,500 years ago. Mm. Seeing correlations like that from around the world, I just kept looking for more, kept finding more correlations, and eventually realized that a lot of ancient civilizations, a lot of myths, a lot of religions are, in essence, telling the same story. It might not be obvious at first. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched a foreign movie and then halfway through it realized, I've seen the American version of this before. It took a while to sink in, but this is probably the original the American one was based on. Right, yeah. I find the same thing in myths once in a while. Every so often I find one where I'm thinking, this is so similar to something I've already read elsewhere. There's got to right. be a connection. Mm-hmm. And I, I so, think one of the keys to understanding... You go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to ask, why do you think people were um, so obsessed with the, the Mayan calendar ending on 2012? I get to some people it might seem like that would be the end of the world just because that's where the calendar stopped. But what do you think, the, the why the Mayan calendar stopped at that particular point? Well... It's a little bit of a misunderstanding to say that it's the end of the calendar or that the calendar stops. Uh, It's more like an odometer flipping over. Uh, Just like when you get to the edge of the map, it's not the edge of the world. Uh, The end of their long count was just the end of their biggest cycle of time, which was approximately 5,125 years. Now, why were they so focused on it? Why did they think it was very significant? I think that perhaps they were pointing to the same seven years of trouble in between one world age and another world age that the Bible is also focused on, except I think the Mayan date is the beginning of that seven years, and the Bible prophecies are more concerned with the end of that seven-year period. I think the Mayans view the years that we're in right now as the first transitional years of the new world, And in my opinion, biblical prophecy views the years that we're in right now as the final years of the old world. Okay. Now, in regards to Bible prophecies, I know you started the book off in Chapter 1 with the Bible prophecies. Uh, Why exactly did you decide to look into the Bible prophecies, and in particular to the events within uh, 1948-67 and, of course, as we just discussed, 2012? Well... Everyone who's focused on end-times Bible prophecy realizes that everything in the Bible is focused on Israel. We in America might like to think that everything revolves around us, but of course the Old Testament is from the Hebrews, Jesus was Jewish, the New Testament was originally written for a group of Jews in the Middle East, and we have to have that as our focus. The nation of Israel was recreated after approximately 2,000 years of non-existence in 1948, and Jerusalem, the city, was reunified under Israeli control in 1967. These dates are of paramount importance in the unfolding of Bible prophecy. 
when we read that those things will happen and then the generation that sees those will not pass before everything else happens. The events in 1948 and 1967 that most people agree, that marks the beginning of a generation that will see the end times. So that's why I'm focused on those dates. They're the most important dates in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy so far. Um, We were told thousands of years in advance that eventually Israel would be a nation again, that it would be recreated in a moment, in an hour. And we were told ahead of time that Jerusalem would be reunified. And we were also given specific time frames for it that I believe were fulfilled accurately. So, um, so with looking through like the Bible uh, scriptures, um, I was reading through your book and saw that in scripture you see that um, 2019 is a major uh, year. What made you determine each uh, time frame, the 2016 to 2019? Well, the most specific thing that would get me to the times we're in right now would have to be from the book of Daniel. There are time frames where Daniel is talking about 1260, 1290. Most readers interpret this to mean years, and that he's giving a prophecy of 1260 years followed by a period of 1290 years. And he even mentions, blessed are those who make it to 1,335. Well, I believe that the starting point that he's focused on is when the Babylonians destroyed the first Jewish temple. And although some historians disagree on exactly when this happened, and the records are very spotty going that far back, I believe in my book I cover why the year 584 B.C. should be considered the correct year for when the Babylonians destroyed the Jewish temple. If you add 1,260 years to that, you get the date where I think the first Islamic mosque was built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And if you add 1,290 years to that, you get to the year 1967. If you assume that the 1335 is a reference to encourage us to look 45 more years beyond the 1290-year period, then that would get us to 2012, which I believe is the beginning of the final seven years that we should be considering in Bible prophecy. And, of course, that would bring us to 2019. Okay. And... um I mean, obviously, this is this is all mathematical, um, and there's a lot of people that believe that there are a lot of mathematical equations in the Bible, um, especially in Revelations and in Numbers. Um, did you find that true to to your research? I'm not aware of many other theories that I give a lot of credence to. Uh, I'm not trying to give negative responses about other people's work, but for example, a lot of people are focused on the equidistant letter sequencing, the idea that you can look through the Bible and if you skip every 50 letters or every so many letters in various verses, you might find words and that like a crossword puzzle page, they overlap with words that are related to each other. I think as sensational as the Drosman's Bible Code may have been, I think you could do that with any lengthy book. And in fact, mathematicians have trying to to prove that point by applying the same techniques to other long books like War and Peace or Ulysses, and they've basically achieved the same things. I don't don't think that there's anything to that. Now, I noticed in the skip way ahead to the last chapter, actually, because uh, I actually found the last chapter one of the most interesting for me just because uh, with all the research I've done, I've been able to re- relate a lot to what you're saying and just understand it. Um, in particular, and maybe you can shed a little light on this, I uh, or you wrote that there'd be floodwaters again in which the pole, the pole shift would happen and the ocean 
or the seas would overcome the earth and I guess make shifts in the land. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. I think the bottom line is that there are pole shifts of the most catastrophic civilization-ending kind that have happened thousands of times to our planet in the past, that as long as humanity has been around, there's always been survivors, but not much left of any civilization that they may have had. So when the Bible and many other stories around the world warn us that it will look like the skies are falling, the oceans will slosh over the land, mountains will crumble, uh, the Hopi have a myth where the guardians of the North and South Pole leave their stations and start looking for each other, and the ice on the caps starts splintering. Just stories from around the world talk about the destruction of one world and the creation of a new world. Mm-hmm. And even in the Bible, when we start off in Genesis, there's chaos in the beginning, and we're told that the first thing in the Bible is about the creation of the world. Arthur Custance was an expert I'm guessing most people haven't heard of, but he was a linguistics expert studying mostly Aramaic and Hebrew. He analyzed the oldest versions of Genesis and concluded that the English translation that most of us know is close to accurate, but only a little bit off insofar as we should really view it as there was a recreation based on the wreckage of the previous world. And I think Genesis is talking about the last time that this happened, and Revelation is talking about the next time that this happens. We're told there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We're given many descriptions of events during the end times, again, including flooding, uh, mountains crashing into the sea, things that make it look like the skies are falling, the stars are falling out of the sky. And I think... Although these sounds ridiculous at first, it sounds like just exaggeration to make a point that things are dramatic. Mm-hmm. Realistically, if there are pole shifts, we would witness all those things happening. And I think there's a lot of evidence, a lot of scientific evidence for the idea that we have had pole shifts before where the surface of the earth is loose over the core, for example, like a, the chocolate around a chocolate-covered cherry. Most of the time, we have stability. The surface doesn't move over the interior. But there's a huge imbalance in the mass of ice at the poles, especially in Antarctica. And it's off-center. I think the estimate is there's about 19 quadrillion tons of ice on top of the Antarctic continent. And it's centered about 300 miles east of the geographical South Pole. So there's always some torque. There's always some centripetal tangential force on the spin of the planet. Now, there are a lot of other factors keeping us stable and preventing that from doing anything. But every year, the ice mass grows, and eventually it could reach a tipping point where something could happen that would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm -hmm. I think that's happened many times in the past. Uh, For example, around our equator, there are coral reefs. If you were just looking at our planet from the perspective of coral, you would notice a huge band circling the Earth at the equator because coral reefs grow the most where we have the warmest water at the equator. But there are many ancient coral reefs crisscrossing the planet in lots of different directions, apparently indicating that there are lots of previous equators other than the position we had now. Mm -hmm. Ice ages are another good example. When you look up the subject, you usually get the response, no one really knows why our planet goes through ice ages. And no one knows why there's evidence of ice ages all over the world, including Africa and India. Yet, obviously, the whole planet wasn't frozen over at once because we still have all sorts of tropical plants and animals. No one seems to know why the last ice sheet during the last ice age was centered on Hudson Bay in Canada. Well... Charles Hapgood was a professor who had some comments on this, and Albert Einstein agreed with him for whatever it's worth. He said the reason that the ice cap was centered in Hudson Bay was because that was where the North Pole was at the time. And the reason there's an ice age in Antarctica right now is because it's centered on one of the poles. Uh, There's a lot of evidence that the weight of the ice sheet is rebounding over the Hudson Bay area even today, and that the poles 
typically move about 30 degrees during a shift. There are, there's evidence from lava flows. Maybe this is the best example. When lava solidifies, the magnetic ions in it, like iron molecules, are generally all oriented with the magnetic field of the Earth. So they're all pointing to where the North Pole was, at least if it was in the Northern Hemisphere. They all point north at the time the lava solidified. Well, there's several places, like in Steens Mountain, Oregon, where they analyzed the lava, and they concluded the North Pole was moving while this lava was solidifying, and they calculated that it was moving at a rate of six degrees per day. So I think that's pretty strong evidence that there was a pole shift in effect at that time. Right, yeah. <laughs> I would I would have to agree there too. Um, all right, um, I think we'll take our first break, folks. You're listening to Paratooth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you guys have any questions during the show tonight, uh, you can call us nine one four two zero five 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 eight. You can also join us in our chat room at the bottom of your screen if you're listening on a computer. Uh, you can also hop on Facebook and Twitter and. Uh, Ask us the questions there as well. Uh, we are going to have Eric's Random Fact as well as some quick uh, commercials, and we will be right back. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Did you know that in the state of Kentucky, it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket? It's true. That's because back in the day, people used to steal horses. And the best way to do that was to put ice cream in their back pockets with the effort of luring the horse away from its owner. Now, if the authorities were to catch up to them, the thief would simply say, I didn't steal the horse. He just followed me home. Now, this seems a little far-fetched, and of course the law isn't put in motion today. However, it is still considered a law, and one can assume that if they were to try to do that at the Kentucky Derby, there may be consequences. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? In the forest near the side of the road. No need for alarm, sir. The forest is where bears live. But this was no ordinary bear. No ordinary bear? At one second, I'm having a smoke taken in the view. Next thing I know, I am face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Let me guess. Smokey had a tip for you. He did. He must have seen me toss my cigarette on the ground. He told me never to do that because it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. He's a smart bear. Did you know that nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? That means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented. That's what Smokey said. I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. Good point. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. This is the sound of salmonella gyrating on your undercooked chicken. And it looks like Mom might be taking it out a little early. Don't let salmonella get funky with your chicken. On average, one in six Americans will get a foodborne illness this year. So use a thermometer to cook each type of meat to the right temperature. Keep your family safe at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Are you ready? Are you prepared? What if some cataclysmic event shook your every foundation? Would you and your family know what to do? My name is Jacqueline Druga, host of the Apocalypse Dennis Show. Join me every Thursday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Prepperbroadcasting.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We're there for your survival needs. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. 
You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This is Bill Hall, author of the book, The World's Most Haunted House, and you're listening to Paratruth Radio. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And uh, we've been talking to David Montaigne about his book, End Times and 20 Teen. Uh, now, David, we were talking about the Polish's and um, how that kind of coincides with a lot of different myths in uh, the Bible as well as other cultures. Um, now, the 2016 to 2019 time frame, is that how long the, the pole shift is going to take or is that how long the Ice Age is going to take? Well, in my opinion, to the extent that Ice Age is a valid term, it just refers to what's happening in the Arctic and the Antarctic for any particular position of the planet. So for the last few thousand years, I would say there's been an Ice Age in Greenland and an Ice Age in Antarctica. I don't think we're going to experience a global Ice Age of any kind. I think when a pole shift occurs, it probably happens very quickly much like the evidence I had mentioned at Steams Mountain, Oregon, from the lava flow that seemed right. to indicate the North Pole was moving at about 6 degrees per day. It wouldn't surprise me if a pole shift happened over the course of approximately a week. And I think that will take place in December 2019, based on all my research. Okay. And with... From, um, with- from I'm sorry. Um, with that coming, would that explain a lot of the strange weather phenomenon that we're seeing right now, like the huge snowstorms in on the East Coast, and we're having warmer ch- temperatures here in North Dakota? Would that explain kind of all of that? Although there is an apparent increase in temperature slightly around the world in recent years, I don't think it has very much to do with the much worse events that I see several years from now. Uh, I don't really think we're seeing much in the way of any earth changes yet. I think when this happens, it will be very sudden and very dramatic, and we're not going to see too much in the way of disasters or weather changes in the meantime. Anything that's happening now is probably part of natural cycles that go on every few decades, every few centuries. Oh, okay. Now, one of the things that you discuss in the book, uh, and you refer to Nostradamus, was the idea that it wouldn't be probable for there to be a solar eclipse at the uh, during the death of Christ. Uh, you mentioned that in the Bible it lasts for three hours, uh, but I believe you say that that's impossible, that didn't really happen. Uh, well, I'm not yeah. saying it didn't happen. I'm just okay. saying everybody seems to assume it was an eclipse. Mm-hmm. The maximum duration of an eclipse is a little over seven and a half minutes. The Bible and the Nostradamus reference that you mentioned both refer to the three hours of darkness right. at the time of Christ's death. And one, eclipses don't last anywhere near that long. And mm-hmm. two, Christ died at Passover in the middle of the Jewish month of Nisan, the 14th day of the month. Now, the Hebrew calendar is lunar calendar. Every month on the first day starts a new moon when the moon is near the sun. Two weeks later, on the 14th of any Jewish month, the moon is opposite the sun. Mm-hmm. It's not possible that there would have been an eclipse at that time of the month. And it's not possible that any eclipse would last that long. Whatever caused the darkness, it wasn't an eclipse. That may be the first thing that comes to the minds of both us today and those who were commenting on it almost 2,000 years ago. But right. there has to be some other explanation for that darkness. Well, 
And I mean, and that makes sense because you think in, in that particular passage or those passages uh, within the gospel, it talks about there being the, you know, the sun going dark, but then it also talks about the blood moon uh, that same night uh, after his death. And it, it's interesting in and of itself. But then you look back at in the Old Testament, in Joshua 10, 13 in particular, uh, where Joshua and his army are battling uh, are in the middle of war. And he calls out to God and asks him uh, to stop the sun. And so the scripture says that God at that moment stopped the sun and it stood still as did the moon for almost an entire day uh, before it ever decided, went and set. So obviously, I mean, that doesn't really make sense that that could possibly happen. But then I think there's a possibility, not only the possibility, but the likelihood that with God's power, since he is all-powerful, has the ability, you know, to, in this case, to stop the earth from moving any further, to keep the sun risen. Um, I, I mean, do you think it's, I guess, in regards to the sun going dark, it was more of a miracle as opposed to, I mean, we just can't possibly fathom it ourselves because we're, we're just finite human, but... I can't think of any rational scientific explanation for why there would have been three hours of darkness at that mm -hmm. time. And, of course, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. If right. he chose to make a sign where darkness lasted for three hours at the death of his son, he has the power to do so. As for the time when Joshua, in the days of Joshua, where the sun appeared to stand still in the sky, I also can't think of any rational reason why that would normally happen mm -hmm. and I'm not aware of any pole shift or other unlikely cause for it at the time of the exodus mm -hmm. so I don't know what the reasoning is behind that it could be that it's a true story but not necessarily portrayed completely accurately or not necessarily from the time that I think it was supposed to be Okay. I don't claim to have a great answer for that. I'd say okay. we have to assume that God can create miracles. Right. Fair enough. Well, and that's one thing that uh, we kind of do with, with this show is Eric has the Christian standpoint on all things paranormal, where I tend to be more towards a mainstream view of the paranormal. Um, and uh, I think you answered that pretty well seeing as even as a man of science or, or history as you are, um, sometimes that can kind of uh, clash with a faith if you're trying to determine what really did happen. Well, many philosophers and religious leaders have said that when science and religion, or the Bible in particular, seem to conflict with each other, it's probably because we don't understand accurately what at least one of the two sides is saying in their argument. Uh, for example, one of the easiest controversies, the age of the world. The Bible seems to indicate that creation was approximately 6,000 years ago whereas science tells us the planet is approximately 4.5 billion years old. And many people have commented on this. It's not something we can just sweep under the rug. It's mm -hmm. roughly a million-fold difference in the dating. Right, yeah. Personally, I think we, the word Earth has a slightly different meaning to us than it did to our ancestors a few thousand years ago. When we hear the word Earth, we think of the entire planet. In the ancient mind, certainly in, in Greek culture, in the Hellenistic world a few thousand years ago, the earth that they may have referred to was probably referring to our orientation in regard to the signs of the zodiac, to the ecliptic, to the stars. If there were a pole shift and that orientation changed, they would have said that that was a new earth, much in the way that the book of Revelation portrays a new earth. So when science tells us the planet is a several billion years old, I agree. All the evidence says it is. And when the Bible says the earth was created approximately 6,000 years ago, I would say it is possible that this current orientation after the last pole shift may only be several thousand years old. Right. 
Well, and when when most people like when 2012 was going to happen, um, everybody was worried about the quote unquote end of the world. Um, and every time we like we had a show back then, and every time I would hear that, I would say it's going to be the end of the world as we know it, not the end of the world as in the Earth is going to explode. I agree. I don't expect the planet to explode. I expect that when a catastrophe does hit, it will simply be the end of the world as we know it. Right. I expect it would be a civilization-ending event, but that the planet will go on and humanity will likely go on. Right. And, I mean, you do mention the the um, Nostradamus's, uh visions of World War Three, the Antichrist, and... People have labeled um, numerous uh, uh, enemies of America, specifically uh, the the Antichrist, Osama bin Laden, um, Saddam Hussein. Um, Do you give any credence to those visions that Nostradamus had? Well, let me say this. I think Nostradamus did have some kind of psychic ability and that he did see future events. Unfortunately, he was so concerned with the Inquisition, so concerned with being killed for what he was writing, that he was extremely cryptic in what he wrote. And I also believe that prophecy by nature Revealing it is a paradox, because if you reveal too much information too clearly ahead of time, someone could be motivated to change the course of events. For example, if he was truly a psychic, and he clearly saw a particular assassination, if he gave such a clear warning by accurately naming, locating, and dating the event, uh, the political leader in question could recognize himself and decide to change things. I think that's impossible to do. I think the future is probably set. I think that there may be a way to see through some kind of extrasensory perception beyond our confines of linear time. There may be a plane of reality where past, present, and future are all one. Do I think Nostradamus had an accurate view of some things in the future? Yes. But I'll be the first to admit that he said so much gobbledygook that it's really hard to get any coherent meaning out of the overwhelming majority of it. Right. So as far as the three antichrists go, although he did appear to describe some things that could be likened to Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, and although he did clearly seem to describe Napoleon Bonaparte, I don't think he meant those two as the first two of his three antichrists. In my opinion, there are couple dozen Nostradamus quatrains that talk about a future war, well, not necessarily so future anymore, but in his time in the future, uh, a war between Islam and Christianity. And at various points, he makes it clear that it will last many years, that it will possibly last 27 years, that it will be underway approximately at the turn of the millennium. And I think in Nostradamus's mind, the three Antichrists are three different leaders from the Islamic world. Okay. Keep in mind that Nostradamus was, uh, although possibly a convert to Catholicism, <laughs> he was a religious man, and he was certainly during the time of the Inquisition trying to appear devoutly Catholic. So it would not be surprising that someone in Europe at that time trying to show how godly and Christian they are would portray the enemies of Christianity at that time in the Islamic world as the enemies of Christ or the Antichrist. I think when he's talking about a future war at approximately this point in history between Western civilization, which is predominantly Christian, and Middle Eastern, Central Asian civilization, which is predominantly Islamic. I think he's talking about three leaders in that region, which over the space of years lead the religious war against the West. Okay. 
All right. Um, I think we'll take our next break. Folks, you're listening to Paratooth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. We have your paranormal headlines and a couple more commercials, and we will be right back. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headline. Justin here with your Paranormal Headline. This is an article from Altered Dimensions from February 2nd. A woman in Santiago, Chile, claims she was violently shoved down by a ghost and has the video to prove it. 34-year-old Cecilia Carrasco was standing near the reception desk at a lawyer's office when she says she felt hands, even though nobody was around at the time. Suddenly, she found herself laying flat on the floor. Carrasco says... I wasn't aware of anybody in front of me as I, as I passed the reception desk talking to a girl, and as I looked towards the receptionist, I suddenly felt two pairs of hands shove me over. I hit the floor, but when I looked up, I couldn't see anybody, and I thought they had probably run off. When the receptionist told me that there was nobody there, I didn't believe them until they showed me the footage. Carrasco was taken by ambulance to the local emergency room where officials found head injuries consistent with being shoved hard to the ground. Carrasco did not believe in ghosts before, but the strange incident has left her terrified. She told local reporters, quote, I remember seeing a film where a ghost kept attacking a woman, and now I'm worried the ghost might be after me. I have no idea why I was shoved over, end quote. This was a segment of Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or Because I said so, or Don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. Oh, no, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, today is a new day. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Yes? Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. Okay, River. Dude. How's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. Perfect for a little riverside shoeless relaxation. Ah, good. Owl, you hear? Cool. Who's asking? I am. Look, you know the drill. Sleep during the day, scare the kids at night. Perfect. I love my job. Uh, Oak Tree? Stop. Still in the same place I left you last year. That's what I like. Consistency. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere for the next couple hundred years. I know. I love it. Uh, Turtle. Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Ugh. He's late every morning. You'd think you would have learned by now to leave the night before our meetings. Okay. Squirrel! Has anybody seen Mr. Squirrel? The forest has been preparing just for you. Visit a forest near you today. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, sublimely elegant here as always, and you are listening to Paratruth Radio. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name's Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've been talking to David Montaigne about his book, End Times in 2019. Um, Did you come up with anything there, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the chapter, chapter seven, it's titled, When Was Jesus Born? Uh, What what was the reasoning behind putting this chapter into the book? Because I know it's completely off from everything else. I'm basically suggesting that astronomical clues can lead us to dates in the future. 
so that we can figure out when prophecies are going to occur. Mm-hmm. So just for an example that someone else has done, there's a, an astronomer and a physics professor named Donald Olson. He wrote a book recently called Celestial Sleuth, and his technique is very similar to mine. He's using astronomical clues, except he's focusing on past events when no one knows for sure when it happened. For a recent example, he looked at a painting of Monet's, uh, the cliff at sunset, and you can see the sun in the painting, no one knew exactly when it was painted, and he decided, you know what, there's enough clues. I think we could figure out exactly when it was painted based on the tides, the position of the sun, some other astronomical clues that he had. They concluded that the painting was done at 4.53 p.m. on February 5, 1883, and he has dozens of other similar examples in his book of past events that he could figure out exactly when they happened based on astronomical clues. Before I wanted to prove my point about future prophetic events and how I think we can calculate the dates on those, I wanted to demonstrate how we could take an event in the past that is very important to the study of Bible prophecy and the Bible in general, the birth Mm -hmm. of Christ. A lot of people have suggested, well, there's no year zero. He wasn't born in the year one. Uh, He had to be born when King Herod was alive, and he died in 4 B.C. He was probably born somewhere around 5 or 6 or 7 B.C. And I thought, that's not really good enough. If this technique works, we should be able to figure out the exact date. As I think the three wise men, the three magi, the Persian astronomers, were able to do. Mm -hmm. I think they had enough clues to know 400 years ahead of time based on what they may have learned through the Babylonians, through Daniel, in order to figure out the exact day when they could expect the birth of a Messiah in the future. And that's why I put that chapter in, and I conclude that Jesus was probably born September 27, 6 B.C. Okay. On the Feast of Tabernacles. I think the celebration of Christmas is probably just a Roman method of helping the new Christian religion overtake mm-hmm. some of the pagan religions that were already celebrating a holiday around the time of the winter solstice in December. Right. But that in reality, we're told that shepherds were out in the field sleeping with their flocks at the time he was born, and there are a lot of factual research books that show that the people in that area had stopped doing that by mid-October at the latest. And then by December, it's cold and snowy in the Jerusalem area. Well, and that's something that uh, we've kind of gone over in our show is, um, I think it was on our Christmas special, um, Eric, that we (laughs) had talked about, you know, they had kind of, nobody really knew what Jesus' birthday is they just knew it was around the the summer time and um, they moved it to December 25th because that is the winter solstice. That's where a lot of the pagans were celebrating the winter solstice. So they just moved it to that Mm -hmm. date. Um, And um, I mean, there's a lot of Christians that kind of rebel against that because it had, it's a pagan date, but you know, um, me and Eric have always said, you know, if you're going to make it a negative day, it's going to be a negative day. It it doesn't matter when his birthday was. That's when we're choosing to celebrate it. So, And I'm not expecting the creation of a new holiday at any point in September. Right. Yeah. What I right. Included. <laughs> Everybody's going to keep using December 25th and let it be a happy day of celebration. But right. I think most people in 21st century realize it's probably not the day he was actually born. Right. Right. Well, um, one thing I wanted to touch on before we uh, end the show is you, you talked about uh, the pyramids in Egypt and South America and the, them coinciding with um, different constellations. Um, do you think that they coincide with different constellations just because that's the most pro- predominant constellation in that area because you said draco in in mexico and orion's belt in in egypt 
Uh, it was Draco in Cambodia, and I'm not familiar oh, enough I'm with sorry. their civilization that many thousands of years ago to know if there was a good reason why they picked that constellation. In Egypt, uh, the three belt stars of Orion look like they're pointing at the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. So Sirius was an indicator of the Nile floods. It tends to dip below the horizon in Egypt for approximately the same 70 days as the season when the river floods. So those belt stars were an important marker, not just for anything symbolic, but for knowing when there was going to be the next flood in Egypt. So it made practical sense for the Egyptians to follow the stars in the sky, not just for the reason of predicting a catastrophe that might happen thousands of years later. In Central America, they were probably most obsessed with the position of the Pleiades. It's a little fuzzy area in the sky where if your eyesight is good enough, you might be able to tell that there are six or seven stars in a cluster. When it lines up in the right position behind the sun, when the sun is in the zenith at the highest point it could possibly be in the sky over Chichen Itza in Mexico, when mm -hmm. that happens... The Mayan believed that that was when their god, Kukulkan, would return to Earth and be crowned as king of the Earth. Because of the cycle of procession, that is in effect right now. That is in effect in the early 21st century. There's a big period of years where it's in effect, but their pyramid of Kukulkan has been likened to an astronomical alarm clock set for the early 21st century. This is the time frame where they expected something to happen. And even the Great Pyramid in Egypt, many people think that the pyramid represents the northern hemisphere of the Earth. They also think that inches are an ancient unit that may even correlate to prophetic years with one inch equaling a year. I'm not sold on this theory, but I will note that if the pyramid capstone were in place and it was built all the way up to its apex, it would be 5,780 inches high, which in the Hebrew calendar would correlate to late 2019. So it is possible that if the pyramid is a representation of the earth and completion of the pyramid could represent completion of the earth, it's at least interesting to note that the measurement of the height of the pyramid could correspond to 2019 okay all right well we are getting close to the end of the show so i did want to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find all of your books well i've written so much so many articles that if anyone looks up end times and 2019 or the title of my more recent book antichrist 2016 to 2019 They'll find plenty of articles, they'll find my websites, and they'll find the books for sale on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, many other places. Okay. Cool. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Eric, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I just said cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so um, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Um, you've been a great guest, and I hope to have you on again soon. Okay. Well, you're certainly welcome to invite me back for my more recent book on the Antichrist, and we'll be in touch. Thanks again for All having right. me. All right. Thank All you. All right. Have a good night. You too. All right, folks. That was David Montaigne, author of End Times and 2019. Um, we've got a couple great guests coming up for you guys in the next couple weeks. Um, we have... Uh, Linda Godfrey, author of American Monsters, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America, which I am looking forward to because she brings up dragons and Bigfoot and... Uh, <laughs> dragons. <laughs> hey, everybody can't be into tigers and dragons with a yin-yang on their shoulder, okay? Hey, no, hey, no, it's all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh we will also be having a special co-host on the 22nd uh justin fall and we will be discussing uh demonic possession versus uh mental illness or mental disease um me and eric have talked about this um a couple of times off air with each other so it'll be interesting to talk on air about it as well as get justin's perspective on it um 
we've got a bunch of other great guests coming up, but I don't want to go too far into the future here. Um, so, um, is there anything you wanted to add before we conclude there, Eric? Um, I'm going to make it a, pro- a promotional statement. I figured that's, that's why I you. wanted to give you. Yeah, I figured you would want to promote <laughs> you it. Saw the fa- you saw the Facebook page? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's, it's a big event. Um, I mean, me and Eric always talk about different things. Um, he's wanting to promote different movies. I've got different books in mind. So what better forum to promote those than our radio show right here on blog talk radio. Indeed. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, all our para fans is what I'm, that, that's the new thing. We're going to call them para fans. All of our fans. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I've been trying to think of a name. So there right. you go. <laughs> so para fans, we're going to make t-shirts called the para fan. So you guys tune in for that. There you go. You know, so you can get one of those. Um, but yes, I have a film that is underway. I wrote it. Uh, I'm producing it, and I'm going to direct it. It is called The Revealed. I'm currently in pre-production right now. If you visit our uh, Paratruth Radio, well, visit facebook.com forward slash Paratruth Radio, and you will see a link that I just posted about an hour ago. Uh, click on it. It's called The Revealed. Like it. Share it with friends. The more views or the more likes I get on that page for the revealed the more information i will reveal about the film uh but just quickly give you a little idea of what it is about uh basically uh, i'm trying to think i want to i want to put this the right way because i don't want to give too much information that's the problem with making films you never want to give too much uh until the actual film comes out uh but basically it's about a young author who becomes the victim of the very beings that she writes about and these beings are quote unquote uh aliens and there's a there's a bit of deceiving that goes into it so you're gonna have to stay tuned to learn more about just what this is and what effects so-called uh alien abduction have on people and what they really could be so it's gonna be an interesting one it's a sci-fi horror uh and and when it comes out which will be mm, probably around 2016 most likely just uh, January, February, most likely, uh, depending on post-production. Uh, I'll probably be giving away freebies through the show, and eventually we'll even put it up for everyone to see on the website, but that won't be for a while. So, But, yeah, check it out. Like the page, please. It'd be awesome. <laughs> well, and when Eric told me about this this movie, I said, you need to make this movie. He's had this idea for a while um, finally being back into uh, production and, and directing and all those good things in school. Um, he has a chance to actually get it out there and get it into film festivals. So please like the Facebook page. Um, I, do, I don't remember if we shared it on the Paratruth page, but I know you shared it on your personal page of a couple other uh, um, friends of yours that have their... Mm-hmm. One's going up too, right? Going. Yeah, they have a yeah. I have a few friends that uh, have put films up. Um, you probably see them on my personal page. Uh, I didn't post any to the Paratrees page. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to do that without their permission, of course. So if you ever do get their permission, we'll get it posted up there on on our Paratrees page as well. Um, so um, we got a lot of great things coming, folks. Uh, please stay tuned. We are always looking forward to talking to you guys. Uh, if you guys ever want to call in during the show, again, 914-205-5558. You can always join us in our chat room at the bottom of your screen if you're listening on a computer. And you can always find us on Facebook and on Twitter. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if that's all you've got, Eric, I think it's time to head out for the evening. Yeah. Um, all right. Folks, we will see you guys next week. Same time, same channel, right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name's Justin. And I'm Eric. Have a good night, folks. Peace.
Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.